Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Francisco L. Borges and the Melville Charitable Trust. This is where we live on Connecticut Public. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Hurricane Maria devastated Puerto Rico five years ago this week. Now the island is again dealing with the impact of another hurricane. Fiona made landfall on Sunday, and days later, hundreds of thousands of homes and businesses on the island remain without power, reports NPR. The government's emergency portal system as of this morning says another 359,000 do not have access to clean water. Coming up where we live, we talk to Puerto Ricans living in Connecticut about how they're working to help. The island's ties to our state have been strong since post-World War II, but after Maria, more Puerto Ricans moved here and stayed. As of 2019, more than 8% of residents are Puerto Rican, according to the Center for Puerto Rican Studies at Hunter College. Are you one of them? Or do you still have family on the island? We want to hear from you. Join us, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WMPR. Or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Now, Stanford-based AmeriCares has worked in Puerto Rico since 2016. The Disaster Relief and Global Health Organization launched a response to Hurricane Fiona on Monday and has a team in San Juan. Joining us now with more on the phone with us from San Juan, Dr. Brenda Rivera-Garcia, who's Senior Director of Latin America and Caribbean Programs for AmeriCares. Brenda, welcome to the show. Good morning, Lucy. Buenos dias. Uh, thank you for joining us today. As I mentioned earlier, uh, AmeriCares has had a long presence in Puerto Rico. Uh, what, what are you seeing right now and what are your top priorities from the team that you have there? Um, Lucy, what we're seeing right now is that um, over 63% of the population of households still are without power. Um, over 25% of households are without um, potable water. So it, five days after the storm, we are still um, in the dark and and struggling to to reach some of the families um, that and communities that have been um, totally incommunicated because of loss of bridges of roads um, uh, uh, roads just uh, disappearing um, after um, intense mudslides so eighty eight percent of the communities that we work with with the community health centers they're still working on on generator power out of uh, you know as of last night. Mm-hmm. You know, for those of us on the mainland here uh, watching this again uh, as uh, Puerto Rico is is devastated by another natural disaster, when we think about, you know, all of the efforts after Maria to help the island recover, you know, how would you characterize, you know, what's been done there uh, to help with infrastructure, with electricity, uh, with clean water infrastructure that we're back here again at this point uh, with so many without no, it, it certainly, and, and, you know, the recovery efforts five years after Maria have been intense, um, uh, some aspects m- more than others. And, and again, we have to take into consideration that um, the infrastructure itself, uh, many years, had been 
kind of a little bit neglected, you know, for many years. And then Maria hit and, and um, uh, it certainly uh, created even more problems. So it's, it's, um, we understand it's going to take a while for Puerto Rico to be, uh, to feel that they have um, full, fully recovered um, that infrastructure. Uh, and certainly Fiona um, has put a wrench into all those plans. As far as the communities that we work with, um, you know, the Puerto Rican people are resilient, but there is so much that uh, they can take. You know, it's not only Maria, it was the earthquakes, it's, um, it's been COVID, it's been political instability, it's been financial instability, um, and, and just days after Fiona, uh, heat waves. So it's, um, <laughs> It, it certainly is challenging, but um, uh, people here are resilient, and we just have to make sure that they have the tools to continue um, uh, striving through, towards um, uh, their well-being. Mm-hmm. Well, everything that you just said, I mean, it, it references something that you shared in a statement, that there are painful memories among uh, so many uh, in Puerto Rico. Uh, there's stress and trauma that your team also has to meet at this moment. How do you do it? Mm-hmm. Well, the team here, it's, it's 14 strong. Um, uh, all all the, the staff here in Puerto Rico, they're, they have been born and raised um, in, in the island. Uh, they're fully committed. They have their Preparedness experts, right? So um, uh, they 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 have their own contingency plans and make sure that their families have their contingency plans so that they can dedicate themselves to serving others. And um, uh, half of nearly half of that staff uh, here in Puerto Rico, they're actual um, mental health and and psychosocial support experts. Um, they're counselors, um, uh, social workers, psychiatrists. And they have been instrumental in um, uh, the recovery efforts in the island as they have uh, continued to do outreach to mental health um, workers, first responders, to give them the tools for self-care, for well-being, um, how to not only take care of themselves, but also take care of the communities they serve. Mm-hmm. Uh, Puerto Rico, again, is a U.S. territory. I had mentioned that AmeriCares is a disaster relief and global health organization. When there are other uh, disasters, international aid comes through uh, from many places. Because of Puerto Rico's status, can you talk a little bit more about you know, the resources that are available uh, to help Puerto Rico because of its status as a territory? All right. Um, uh, FEMA is, um, is is on the ground, and actually they have offices here as well, permanent offices. So we have those resources. And then, um, you know, we have to thank the diaspora. Um, all those, there's actually more uh, people, more Puerto Ricans or people of Puerto Rican descent um, stateside that they're actually living right now in the island. So that diaspora is um, is essential um, uh, and has proven essential for Puerto Rico's recovery, not only in material things, but also the connection, right? Um, the connection to family and friends. Um, uh, we know that after Maria and, you know, during the past five years, um, many people um, left the island. They they left, um, they, they moved stateside. So that breaking up of families, that breaking up of, of your immediate um, support uh, structure and nucleus um, has had a, a, an effect on, on the 
mental health and well-being of the population, but having that connection, right, to to the mainland and to the the the, the people stateside um, has proven um, essential for the recovery. And one last question for you, Brenda. When we think about again the team and, and all the money that Americares has uh, invested to help uh, after Maria and now Fiona, uh, when we think about the damage done to health centers, uh, tell, talk us through some of that emergency funding there. Mm-hmm. No, it, and and that has been essential as well. Uh, very important. We have been working with um, community health um, centers, basically the federally qualified health clinics, um, and because they serve the the most underserved, um, the more difficult to reach, and rural communities around the island. And um, we have been supporting with not only access to medicine, uh, making sure that the underinsured or the uninsured can access their insulin, their uh, uh, heart uh, medication, their asthma medication, um, and supporting the clinics and in their infrastructure, making sure that their preparedness plans um, are in place, that they're well socialized, that everybody um, understands their role and um, giving them tools um, during COVID so that they could uh, safely uh, take care of the population um, uh, while taking care of themselves with um, sufficient um, uh, protective personal equipment, um, uh, uh, trainings, capacity building, um, tools to um, uh, deal with uh, vaccine hesitancy, uh, COVID-19 vaccine hesitancy. I mean, a a number of tools that have gone to support these clinics so that they can better serve. Uh, and I should have asked you, because when we're thinking about this hurricane, it did not just impact Puerto Rico, but also the Dominican Republic as well. Can you tell us briefly um, AmeriCare's role there, Brenda? Yes, in in, Ameri- in Dominican Republic, we do not have an, an office, uh, uh, an anchor office like we have in Puerto Rico, um, but we do have strong partners. And we have been uh, since days before um, uh, the, the, the path, the true path of the hurricane um, could be understood. We have been connecting with those partners, um, letting them know, are there any particular needs now? And just um, rest assured that we will be here um, once the storm is over and we're ready to um, hear what are your needs. So um, right now, the uh, what we have been asked um, is for um, hygiene kits uh, for the population, some funding to support um, uh, fuel and and diesel for generators, um, and connecting to other NGOs um, that can support with other essential uh, supplies that that we don't cover, such as uh, food and, and, um, and, and clothing. Again, that's Dr. Brenda Rivera-Garcia joining us from San Juan. She's AmeriCare's Senior Director of Latin America and Caribbean Programs. Brenda, thank you for your time and good luck to your team there. Thank you, Lucy. You're listening to Where We Live on Connecticut Public. Again, if you have connections to Puerto Rico, do you still have family there? We'd like to hear from you, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Uh, We know that there are many uh, Puerto Ricans in our state uh, that are watching uh, the island closely uh, and also working to find ways to help. Uh, Joining us now on the phone is Sammy Vega, president of CICD, the Puerto Rican Parade in Hartford, and a member of the Coalition of Connecticut Puerto Rican Parades and Festivals Relief Committee. Sammy's joining us on the phone. Sammy, welcome. 
Good morning. Buenos dias. And tell us, uh, first off, uh, do you have family and friends uh, on the island? How are they doing? Yes, I have family in the west of um, of the island, Ciales, Puerto Rico, and, and also in Caguas. Um, they're doing fine. Um, unfortunately, right now they don't have water nor light. Um, but something that we have as Puerto Ricans, um, doesn't matter how many times they fall, they get up 200 times, you know. So um, they're surviving, um, but they need help. Mm. And what are you hearing from them in terms of the response they're getting on the ground there from the government, Sammy? Um, again, this is outgoing. As you know, five years ago, um, Hurricane Maria hit the island, the entire island, pretty bad. Not only that, two years ago, the earthquake that damaged basically the south of Puerto Rico. And then the, the pandemic. Um, unfortunately, they don't get no break. Um, I'm just praying that the the governor uh, in Puerto Rico and the government will help out. Uh, but we here, the people in, in the states, um, we got together. And, um, and that's what we're supposed to do, help out our island, our family, and our people in the island. You mentioned that earthquake. I understand uh, that you and the local organization here um, helped lead a response uh, of how to help uh, Puerto Ricans. That was in, in January of 2020. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes. Two years ago, um, we sent out, we created a website called CT Health Puerto Rico PR. Um, we had a group of um, from the states that went over to Puerto Rico to the south and help out the the, the, the people uh, on the earthquake. Um, and that was right before two days that when the pandemic started. So right when we were finishing returning to the States, um, the pandemic happened. So another uh, terrible situation that happened in Puerto Rico. Mm-hmm. So now that Fiona has hit the island, and as we mentioned, uh, still people, hundreds of thousands, without uh, clean water, without electricity. From Connecticut, uh, what are you doing um, through the work of the Puerto Rican Parade in Hartford, as well as this coalition of Puerto Rican Parades and Festivals Relief Committee, Sammy? Yeah, so we relaunch, again, cthealthpr.org. Um, to collect money, to raise money for the people in need in Puerto Rico. We have been in contact directly with the governor of the Lions Club of Puerto Rico, of the South End of Puerto Rico, Jose Valentin. I just had a a brief meeting with him a few minutes ago before going on the air. And unfortunately, they're still out of light and water. And um, when we got together, we created this um, relief effort um, it's a partnership with all the parades and festival organizers in Connecticut, Hartford, Meriden, New Haven, Bridgeport, Norwich, and Waterbury. And we learned a lot from five years ago when we tried to um, put together a relief effort um, in the community, in the state, especially in the states. They all came together. You know, we started collecting water, food, clothing for for the island. Um, and we had a great response from the community. The only problem was is that we collected so much that we didn't have the resource how to send it, you know. Um, so we learned a lot from five years ago. So this time around, we thought why, the best way is to collect money, get funds, connect, um, have a trusty contact in Puerto Rico as we are. We work 
closely with is the Lions Club of Puerto Rico, Jose Valentin. Um, they are the people that are in ground now and telling us who the people in need, what what's the urgency, you know. Um, and again, we not collecting money to rebuild Puerto Rico. We want to help people in need now, like with food, water, just like Dr. Brenda Rivera Garcia mentioned. Uh, what they need is right now resources, money for just to feed the people at the moment. Mm. Sammy, thank you for that. And we also have information on our website, ctpublic.org slash where we live, linking uh, to uh, this organization as well as uh, the link to um, help donate uh, towards these efforts. Uh, We know that 8% of our residents in our state are Puerto Ricans. We know Connecticut welcomed thousands displaced in the wake of Hurricane Maria five years ago, particularly in Hartford and New Haven. And this week, uh, New Haven Mayor Justin Elliker uh, tells where we live, quote, we've had discussions across city departments and with several of our nonprofit and community partners so that we are prepared as a community to support those in need, whether that's family looking for emergency housing, individuals in need of health care, children entering our public schools and other services and supports. Also, Hartford Mayor Luke Bronin's office tells us the city is ready to partner with community and Hartford groups to help families who may come here, but also said it's not yet clear that we will see anything like the large-scale relocations that we saw five years ago after Hurricane Maria. Sammy, did you want to respond uh, to what we heard from uh, the city officials and, and um, you know, again, their readiness uh, to help, but also um, not expecting as many to leave the island as after we saw with Hurricane Maria? Uh, yes, I guess we have to see and wait. Um, I can see people already coming in. You know, we have already received a few calls of family, um, especially with kids, because their urgency is basically they want they want the kids to to get back to schools. You know, um, and I know five years ago, correct schools um, out of Alvarado, the one that ran um, the relief effort five years ago, they had a wonderful program. I mean, they as they took on hundreds of family, you know, um, and I just hope that that doesn't get to that point. You know, I, I believe in the island. I believe of the people in Puerto Rico. We just have to rebuild, help. Um, but I'm pretty sure that Connecticut and the Puerto Rican people in, in, in Hartford will accept and be ready for any any situation. Again, that's Sammy Vega, president of CICD Puerto Rican Parade in Hartford and a member of the Coalition of Connecticut Puerto Rican Parades and Festivals Relief Committee. That website, cthelpspr.org, to donate. Sammy, thank you for your time today. No, thank you for reaching out and uh, allowing us to express ourselves and and finding help for our people in in the island. Mm. Uh, We also reached out to the Hartford Hispanic Health Council and Junta for Progressive Action in New Haven, who also told us they've been readying internal relief responses. Uh, Coming up after the break, we're going to talk about lessons learned after Hurricane Maria, including more on efforts to help those displaced. Do you have family in Puerto Rico? You can join us too, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WNPR. Or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Support for this podcast comes from Hartford HealthCare. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford HealthCare. 
ECMO is a leading-edge, life-saving treatment for patients with cardiac or respiratory failure. Dr. Jason Gluck, director of the Mechanical Circulatory Support Program and Emergency Cardiac Care at Hartford Hospital, explains what it is. So ECMO stands for extracorporeal membrane oxygenation, outside the body oxygenation of blood. It's a life support technique that's used by highly sophisticated medical systems for patients with severe heart or lung failure. The technique involves removing blood from the body, oxygening it, and then returning it back. ECMO procedures happen in the ICU, but not all hospitals are equipped with the necessary technology and staff. Dr. Gluck describes Hartford Hospital's ECMO Go team. So ECMO is considered when treatments have failed, and in our center, with a special ECMO on the go team, we'll actually take that technology to their hospital and help them out there if they need to to stabilize the patient and then bring them back to heart for recovery. For more information, go to ctpublic.org slash health. This is where we live on Connecticut Public. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Coming up next week on Tuesday, we sit down with 5th District Congresswoman Johanna Hayes, who's running for re-election against Republican George Logan. Now, do you live in the 5th District? What questions do you have for Representative Hayes? We hope that you join us on air and online. That's Tuesday, where we live. Now, researchers say an estimated 13,000 people came to Connecticut from Puerto Rico in the year after Hurricane Maria in 2017. UConn's Dr. Charles Venator Santiago was one of the researchers commissioned by the Hartford Foundation for Public Giving to look into the data of those displaced. He'll join us in a few minutes. Joining us first on Zoom, Ora Alvarado, Director of Communications and Community Relations for the Capital Region Education Council, or CREC. Uh, Ora, welcome to the show. Good morning. How are you? Thank you for having me. Thank you. And we heard uh, Sammy Vega give you a shout out for the work that you did after uh, so many came to Connecticut after Maria. Again, uh, CREC, I believe, helped co-lead the first relief center in the city, pooling agencies in a one-stop center uh, to welcome those who were displaced. Can you can you tell us about that time and how you did it? Yes. First, I want to say hi to my friend Sammy and everybody who was on. Um, this was five years ago. This was definitely a collective effort. Um, my name is thrown out there all the time, but I could not have done this um, without the support of the executive leadership team here at CREC and all the agencies that supported us at that time. So, yeah, it was five years ago. Um, the CREC leadership team was in a, in a group. You know, we were doing a day of caring and we heard about the hurricane. And of course, um, that we have many um, Hispanics from Puerto Rico here in our workforce. And some of us were in that leadership room and we were just, we couldn't even focus on what was, you know, what was in front of us. And we just started talking about what we could do. And then in the next few weeks after that, we heard that there was an influx of people coming. We started hearing and that they were just showing up at the airport. They didn't know where to go. And at that moment in time, you know, Crack had a building. Um, it was it was empty. Uh, the lease was paid for a few months, and we decided to have a meeting. We gathered over. We invited over seventy community agencies to a meeting and just said, "Hey, this is available." We had the meeting right in the building, and we said, "We're here." What you know? But we can't do this alone. And so a few weeks went on and we ended up with about six, uh, four or five. I think we started with four and then we added a couple more. So we ended with about six or seven agencies who were on site with us providing services. 
That Welcome Center uh, definitely needed at that time, yes. and and I believe it's now closed. Uh, so we we know now oh, with yes. Fiona, uh, you know, Sammy just said that they're hearing about some families who want to come here. They don't want their kids to be missing school while so much of the island is still without power and clean water. Yeah. And so can you uh, talk through what you're hearing um, from the local Puerto Rican community about ways you can help? Well, I think the biggest question is, do we, is there a space like the relief center that we had five years ago? And unfortunately here on Creekside, I mean, we're here to support. As a matter of fact, we are, uh, we're gathering our internal employees and we're doing a fundraiser where the funds are going to go to AmeriCares through our CREC-CARES, uh employee benevolence program. So we're doing that internally. And I'm sure there's going to be more to come as, uh, as things unfold. Um, in terms of having a physical location, you know, and you know, again, that was a moment in time. Right now, we don't have anything physically like that. However, if someone has something like that and they want to reach out to Crack, I know that our executive leadership team is ready to provide insight, support, and maybe guidance as to the the lessons learned from five years ago. I know I would be happy to assist any way I can. Mm-hmm. And so. Right now, what we're hearing is, you know, I'm hearing pockets. You know, there's some people who are just coming to stay with family for a little while. Um, mo- you know, again, our people are resilient. And I'm talking about, you know, the Puerto Ricans, Dominicans, the people in the Turks and Caicos that are experiencing. And right now what I'm hearing is neighbors helping neighbors. Um, and because, you know, obviously I think there's a mistrust with the government over there. And so I, we all want to make sure that our dollars go to the right place, just like Sammy said. We, we want to work with community leaders that we know are on the ground in, uh, doing the work. You're hearing Ora Alvarado, who is Director of Communications and Community Relations for the Capital Region Education Council, also known as CREC, as we talk about uh, this latest hurricane uh, to hit Puerto Rico. Do you have family on the island? We want to hear from you, 888 or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. On the phone with us, Dr. Charles Venator Santiago, Associate Professor and Faculty Director of the Puerto Rican Studies Initiative at the University of Connecticut. Charles, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Good to hear from you. Our, our list- I, I hate under these circumstances. Yes. <laughs> Uh, Charles, we know you've done research on uh, the post-Maria displacement of Puerto Rican and U.S. Virgin Islanders in Greater Hartford. And we were just talking with Aura about how successful these one-stop centers can be. But we're in this time where not only um, the fact that this hurricane has hit again, another hurricane on the island, but um, this climate crisis uh, that um, these islands are experiencing, uh, this is something that we're going to have to revisit time and time again. I'm wondering if you can talk about that. So right now, on the, specifically in the case of Fiona, what we're seeing is that it wasn't, the, the winds weren't that uh, strong. What uh, created most damage was the saturation of water. There were more than 30 inches dumped, and the island just couldn't retain the water, and the pumps weren't working. So there was an infrastructure failure in place. But we're also hearing that Hermione is on, on its way down and that we expect more rains. So we know that we're going to have a lot of uh, climate events that are going to uh, uh, challenge infrastructures in the islands. There is plenty of money to fix the infrastructures in Puerto Rico, but the government in Puerto Rico has not uh, taken the initiative to address these issues, even though they have a ton of money available to do that. Um, on a broader scale, what we're seeing with climate change, is, and this is an island problem around the world, is that for every inch that the, ocean, that the oceans rise, you start getting a level of salination. 
So we might have another climate displacement happening soon because of lack of drinking water in many islands. Right. Uh, but this is something that we can expect. And then the, the key point is that a lot of migrants travel to cities or towns where they have relatives or friends. That's a trend across the world. So we're, we're, we will... We should expect more climate migration in the future. Mm. Uh, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change uh, says small islands like those in the Caribbean are, are among the most vulnerable to the effects yeah. of global warming and sea level rise. And what you just said, Charles, putting water, food security and infrastructure durability all at high risk. Yes. And in the case of Puerto Rico, it's really sad because as a U.S. General Accounting report released last Wednesday, documents there are billions of dollars to address these kinds of issues, yet the inability of the Puerto Rican government to assume responsibility to fix these problems. I mean, for infrastructure and electricity alone, they have $22 billion allocated, and they've only spent less than a billion dollars addressing questions of energy, uh, the energy crisis. So part of it is also we need good governments in the islands, and particularly in places like Puerto Rico. So give us more context there, uh, Charles. You've been on the show many times uh, talking about uh, Puerto Rico, about uh, the, the corruption uh, that led, uh, the mismanagement of finances uh, that led this to this uh, Congress-appointed Fiscal Control Board. And so now with the gov- this current government in place, you know, talk more about the challenges that you still see there. Yeah, so, so part of it is that there's this general narrative of a super solution through statehood without addressing the infrastructure problems in the islands, without addressing the economic development in the island. So a lot of politicians are, are promoting this idea of privatization as a way to manage federal funds but without achieving uh, sort of reforms, necessary reforms, to address crises, not just climate crisis. We had an earthquake situation a couple of years ago that displaced a lot of people. Uh, and, and there seems to be an effort to essentially profit from the distribution or management of public funds in the island, uh, which doesn't make any sense, because if you want to promote statehood, you want to build the island's economy so that it's a better place for uh, to be admitted into the United States, uh, or stronger, has a stronger economy. Um, but uh, we're at an impasse. The other issue that I want to emphasize is that we also have a different administration at a federal level. Part of the crisis of Maria was that you had a Republican administration that did not believe in uh, using government agencies to provide support. In the case of Democrats, uh, Biden's already declared a major disaster and is willing to put resources to address the issues affecting Puerto Ricans. So we're also in a different place in terms of a national administration dealing with crisis. Uh, Laura, did you want to uh, respond to what Charles has shared with us? No, maybe Aurora can't hear us right now. Uh, but Charles, I wanted to go back to you because we were talking about uh, the displaced, I believe, uh, you know, 13,000 uh, at the time uh, estimated to have come to Connecticut after Hurricane Maria. Uh, we know Junta for Progressive Action in New Haven also helped about 2,000 displaced people from Puerto Rico uh, who resettled here after both Maria and Irma. Uh, there was a, a column by uh, Brookney Pizarro uh, with uh, uh, their executive director, Junta, with uh, the Connecticut Mirror um, saying that, you know, five years after Hurricane Maria, Connecticut resettlement services, quote, are still 
under-resourced. And she wrote that Junta, again, an important community organization in New Haven, as we know, uh, facing, quote, an uncertain and inadequate funding, imperiling their capacity to respond to future climate-related disasters. What do you think about that, Charles? So, so three things I think it's really interesting to highlight. First, Connecticut is a receiving and pass-through straight state. So there are a lot of families here that were willing to receive Puerto Ricans. And again, Connecticut is the state with the sixth largest population, Puerto Rican population in the United States. So there's a lot of people that that came temporarily and returned to Puerto Rico. Uh, After all is said and done, I just looked at the recent numbers. Uh, Connecticut gained around 4,000 Puerto Rican new residents in the state during that period of 2017 or uh, 2018. in terms of the settlements uh, or welcome centers or resource centers, what we found in doing multiple studies throughout the United States was that if you have one fixed location where people can get access to social security, health services, mental health, education, food, uh, you name it, so a representative from that particular area, those places uh, enable people to integrate into the community in a much simpler and easier way. But these places have to be open for the duration of that. And these places can be open for an emergency situation and in a non-emergency situation, sort of reduced in services, but they have to be continuously open. Uh, and it has to be one or two loca- or fixed locations where people know where to go. Uh, we do know that in this particular crisis, Fiona, we're not expecting the same migration uh, that we saw in Maria because uh, services are starting to function. Again, the schools are opening, electricity is being resumed, water is a problem. Uh, but we do know that we expect two more events coming, uh, uh, going to Puerto Rico, which may result in a lot more people wanting to leave, and they'll come to places like Connecticut uh, or other states where they have relatives and family. Again, you can join us, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Charles, I believe you still have family in Puerto Rico. What are they, what are they telling you? You know, I have mixed uh, responses. My uncle prepared. My aunts and uncles prepared for this. They had whole house generators and they lit up the barbecue and they called their friends and they watched the baseball game and had a good time while the hurricane in the southern part of the island uh, and they haven't had any problems with energy. My mother, on the other hand, hasn't had electricity or water for now going on a week uh, and she's been struggling left to right. I keep telling her to come with me. Mm. She wants to be supportive uh, of people in Puerto Rico. So, so you have mixed experiences, uh, and that's happening throughout the island. There are people who are really suffering without any water, electricity, or their homes have been washed away, and there are people who have been able to adapt, based on Maria. Mm. Uh, well, again, with us uh, on uh, the phone right now is Dr. Charles Venator Santiago, Associate Professor, also Faculty Director of the Puerto Rican Studies Initiative at the University of Connecticut. Uh, also with us, Ora Alvarado, who's Director of Communications and Community Relations for the Capital Region Education Council, or CREC. Uh, she's with us on Zoom. Ora, can you hear us? Yes. Yes, I'm here. <laughs> Wonderful. I, you know, I wanted you to respond a little to what, you know, Charles has shared in terms of, you know, again, helping those that are displaced because this climate crisis is not going to go away anytime soon. And when we think about the connections to our state with so many Puerto Ricans that have been here for um, you know several decades, uh, the displaced will keep coming uh, when we see these natural disasters. And I wonder if you can talk about the resources that we have here locally to help them. Well, obviously, um, you know, the greater Hartford area has um, an array of 
uh, agencies that can help. You know, we have, um, you, you know, we have two on one United Way, CRT, um, community health resources. It's, you know, uh, it's no secret that I wish we could have kept our relief center open. As Charles stated, that the data shows. I mean, having a one stop shop does help. Um, you know, I I get flashbacks of how, you know, the the people from the island were coming in the middle of winter with, you know, flip-flops and no coats and, and they were being asked to, you know, navigate their way around Hartford to find places. And it just, I, it boggled my mind that, you know, we, we don't have the, a steady one-stop shop for everything. Um, so I agree with Charles with what he said that we should have that, but if we see the influx of people coming, yes, there's resources here. I think, what we need to figure out and make um, easy for folks is how to access the resources and who the contact people is, are, and not just give a phone number that gets you to a, you know, press button one, press button two, and then we'll call you back. Um, because that was very frustrating. I remember being on the phone with some families and the case managers at the relief center. We would be on the phone for 45 minutes waiting to get a live person for anything. And, it, and just to be told, that we had to go somewhere else. So I, I hope that the lessons learned from five years ago have improved. Um, I think we have to accommodate our, our our operation times when things like this happen. Um, you know, I remember, you know, places close at four and we were getting people jobs and they were working nights and we, you know, it was just a navigating of the processes. So um, to answer your question, there are a lot of resources here and there are a lot of great people doing great work. Um, but a little bit more collaboration and communication um, would be great. And I'm happy to say that if someone has some ideas and wants to put something together, we can all work uh, as a unit. So when the folks, the families come here and are looking for assistance, they don't have to figure it all out on their own. I believe, Aura, you told Fox 61 that while Hurricane Fiona is not as devastating as Maria, it is a reminder there's still a lot of work left to do. So when you think about um, what Charles shared about uh, the government and infrastructure failures, I'm wondering if you can give us your perspective on what you want to see on the island to help the people that are still there. Well, you know, it's it just saddens me that we're still, the infrastructure is still an issue, <clears throat> that we're still talking about it. Because if you take for I heard and I don't I can't don't quote me on this, but like Dominican Republic, right? They got hit hard, but they got their power on like what I think the next day, right? So I don't understand why Puerto Rico, an island that you know we're United States citizens, um, that we're still having these issues five years after, and you know, and that people are still struggling with trusting their government. Obviously, you're never going to trust government 100%, but to be in this situation still that I have family who say, no, no, just, you know, we'll find, we'll get gift cards and give them to people. Don't, you know, don't send cash because it's getting stolen. I mean, it's, it's things like that, that just breaks my heart. Um, but I think, I mean, we can't please, I hope we're not here another five years later um, talking about this again. I mean, I think the infrastructure needs to be addressed. And, and I, I think, I hope that, maybe Biden's office can come and, and say, listen, we have to do this and, and make people accountable. Um, and that's, it's just, it's just sad because things have improved, but not to the level where it needs to be. Mm. 
know, Charles, earlier we asked uh, AmeriCare's uh, senior director there uh, um, about not only helping with some of the uh, daily needs, uh, water and uh, shelter, um, to make sure that um, they have access to power, uh, but also the the toll that it takes on people who are dealing with one natural disaster disaster after another and after another. And when you talk about um, you know not having faith in the government that's there to even deal with the infrastructure needs, how are they dealing with the mental health needs of the people of Puerto Rico? Well. Let me. Can I offer one comment to ours, and then sure. I'll respond to that one. So, so one of the things that we learned uh, in multiple studies is that in the absence of a government or in the absence of a continuous working center, uh, families assume responsibility over people. So one of the things that we saw in Connecticut was that the majority of families who were, were living in poverty were assuming the responsibility to help friends and family, house them, take care of them. And, and, in, and I want to highlight this because Puerto Ricans have a triple rate of poverty compared to the average uh, resident in Connecticut. In other words, there's 29% of poverty among Puerto Ricans in Connecticut, as opposed to 7 for the general population. Uh, and the median income for Puerto Ricans is around $44,000 a year, as opposed to 83 for the average resident. So, so we have to be mindful that there, this is not just a toll on people who are traveling, but also a, a toll on people who are willing to sacrifice their livelihoods to help them friends and relatives, uh, with little resources. Uh, on the question of mental health, to, re- to return to that point, uh, one of the problems that we're seeing in Puerto Rico, particularly, is that there's been an exodus of public health officials and doctors, uh, professionals who can address these kinds of issues. I happen to, to have a relationship with a community-based program in, the southern, in Ponce, in the southern part of the island. Uh, my mother trains uh, community organizers. And they lost their homes. So even the community health workers that, that could help and address issues of mental health uh, may not be physically able to provide those services because uh, they lost their homes or, uh, or their livelihoods. Mm. Again, you're hearing Dr. Charles Venator Santiago, Associate Professor and Faculty Director of the Puerto Rican Studies Initiative at the University of Connecticut. Charles, I understand that you are are heading up a huge research project to create a profile of Puerto Ricans in Connecticut. I mentioned earlier that Puerto Ricans uh, started coming here, uh, I believe, post-World War II. Uh, We've got uh, many uh, connections to the state um, for decades now. Can you tell us where that stands? So, uh, yes, two things. I mean, Puerto Ricans actually were here uh, since 1898, and, and mm-hmm. Spanish, who were born in Puerto Rico, were already doing commerce in the coastal regions. So we have a long tradition of being present. Uh, so, no, we, we received funding from the General Assembly to create an initiative that can provide documentation, to provide data on Puerto Ricans. That can, We're going to do an oral histories project. We're going to do an ar- archival system to provide public resources, uh, public archives of documents. Uh, and then we're going to provide support to different organizations and what in research capacity. Uh, so we uh, we're starting to build it, uh, and hopefully we'll start releasing reports. I had hoped to have a couple this week out, but I've uh, been a little distracted with the, with the meetings. Uh, but we're hoping to start producing reports that can inform uh, debates, public debates around Puerto Rico mm-hmm. with data. And then we're also going to work with groups to do research to answer questions that the data can't answer. Mm-hmm. 
Laura is still with us. Uh, when we think about CREC uh, being one of these important organizations, uh, working with partners to help families, uh, even after Maria, and now we've got Fiona, uh, you're helping uh, raise funds. Can you tell us where that stands, Laura? Yes. Yeah, so internally, you know, just um, I, I love my crack colleagues. We, we we're re- rallying and implementing um, our crack cares, which is our employee benevolence program. We just sent out an email uh, asking employees to donate. And like we did five years ago, where the money alloc- uh, it raised is going to AmeriCares because we know AmeriCares is is not just in Puerto Rico, but they can help Dominican Republic and Turks and Caicos, you know, just in the Caribbean. And so our funds have been are going to be allocated to AmeriCares directly. Mm-hmm. Uh, Charles, uh, you know, as we think about this recovery now from uh, Fiona, you know, what are you going to be watching for in the next few weeks? Again, uh, if we if we look at the the government's emergency portal system online, uh, they're trying to update in terms of who has access to clean water, what the power situation looks like. But are you skeptical of, of those numbers when we think about uh, the people impacted in, in different communities around the island? Yes, absolutely. And that's a big problem because it, it's a difficult situation to assess when you're getting uh, misinformation. To give you a simple example, the, yesterday Puerto Rican Power Authority was reporting that about half the island had electricity, while Luma, the distributor of energy, was reporting that only a third of the island had electricity. They have mixed messages coming from government agencies and misrepresentations of information. For example, yes, water has been uh, has been turned on in lots of parts of the uh, the island, but that water is not necessarily uh, drinkable water uh, because the power processing plants aren't working at full capacity in many places. So yes, part of the, what I'm looking for is to figure out how that misinformation can help us understand what the impact in migration is going to be. But my biggest concern is that Fiona is just the beginning of what we expect to be a series of uh, hurricanes and other climate events. And and I'm more concerned with the inability to catch up or to prepare the island for those sort of events. I mean, we're expecting another deluge of rain this weekend. Uh, And that's what I think is going to trigger some migration, whether it be be temporary or more permanent. uh, We might see some migration here to Connecticut, and we want to be ready to support. Mm. Laura Alvarado, do you have final thoughts for us uh, with your work uh, in the community? Uh, well, the thoughts, you know, that we're here, um, our people are resilient um, on the island and here in Connecticut, in the greater Hartford area, too. I know a lot of us are frustrated to be here again and saddened. And our prayers are with each and every one of us, especially in our island and in the Dominican Republic as well. Again, you're hearing Aura Alvarado, who's the Director of Communications and Community Relations at CREC Education. Uh, we have links on our website, ctpublic.org slash where we live, uh, to connect uh, with these organizations that are uh, collecting uh, donations uh, to help people in Puerto Rico. Aura, thank you so much for your time and the work that you've been doing. Thank you so much. Also with us, Dr. Charles Benantor Santiago, Faculty Director of Puerto Rican Studies Initiative at the University of Connecticut. Charles, always a pleasure to hear from you about uh, the research you're doing and the perspective you bring. Uh, Thank you for your time today. 
Thanks for your work. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Today's show produced by Katie Pellico. Our technical director is, is Kat Pastor. Special thanks today to Eugene Amatruda. Again, coming up next Tuesday, we're going to have 5th District Congresswoman Johanna Hayes here, who's running for re-election against Republican George Logan. We want to hear your questions for her. We hope you join us on Tuesday. Have a great weekend. Thank you.